Thank you, Don. Um, have you ever found a letter in your mailbox and it was a handwritten note and you got so excited and you opened it and then you began to read the letter and you realized this letter wasn't written to me. Or maybe you've gotten a text and it had a bunch of tea or, or what we would, the Gen Zers and, and uh, millennials would call tea, which is gossip, it had a bunch of gossip in it. And as you're reading it, you're like, whoa, I did not know all of these things were happening. And all of a sudden you get a text and it's like, I'm so sorry, that was not for you. <laughs> well, the good thing is today, even though this letter wasn't written to us, we are allowed to take a peek at this letter. Today we begin a series called Letters to the Church. These are letters that Jesus wrote to those who are his followers in his beloved church. We'll be looking at the book of Revelation together in the next seven weeks. Everyone, you can take a deep breath. I know you heard me say Revelation. Maybe you've never ventured into the last book of the Bible because maybe it's a little bit intimidating and scary. Or maybe in your past, someone has twisted the message of God's word and used it for their own good. Well, together, we're hoping that by the end of this series, Revelation won't be so scary to you. So let's all take a deep breath and let me read for us today from Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. I see your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I am also hate. I who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I, have, I give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for today's letter. I thank you that this was a letter that was written to the Ephesian church, but it's also a letter that we get to peek in on. I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have to tell us today and hearts that are soft to what your message is. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're like me, when you get mail, the first thing you look at is, who is it from? Or maybe a text message. Who is it from? And knowing who it's from gives us context. For example, if I got a text that said, I'm just leaving my house, I'm headed your way, it really matters if it's my sister from Ohio or if it's my neighbor. I, I got to know when to clean my house. Like, the, it really matters. And so today we're going to look at the writer. Who is the writer of this letter? 
The book of Revelation is written by John, Jesus' disciple, the one who Jesus loved. He was exiled to an island called Patmos. John was exiled there because of the persecution that was happening with Christians. There's actually a cave on this island that's believed to be where John received this vision from Jesus and what is now become the book of Revelation. There's even a monastery. Uh, I, as you can tell, I was looking up lots of things about Patmos, and it's a really beautiful island if you wanted to Google it. Um, I was actually joking with my coworkers, I wouldn't mind being exiled there. As long as I had food, uh, I could go hiking, I could hang out with Jesus. I mean, it would be totally worth it. So if we take a quick look at Revelation 1, if we flip back just a chapter before, we find out about who this message, who is writing this message. John's vivid description of the speaker is the one who holds the seven stars and is with the golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands symbolize the churches and their main role to be a light in the world around them. And the seven stars could also symbolize the churches or the messengers. But imagine what John was thinking as he saw Jesus with stars in his hands and lampposts around him. The Greek word used for Jesus holding those stars demonstrates his strength and how he held those stars. If you know anything about me, I love sports. And so football is actually one of my favorite sports. And the NFL draft is coming up in a few weeks. And one of the things the NFL teams look for in their quarterbacks is how big their hands are. The quarterback who lost to your Rams in the Super Bowl, he actually has, so Jerry Burrow, he actually has nine-inch hands. And people told him, you know what? Your hands are too small. You can't hold a football. You can't be a good quarterback. But don't worry. Jesus' hands were huge. He could hold the stars in his hands. In, the chapter, in chapter 1 of Revelation, we are told this sight of Jesus is so jarring to John that he falls on his face. And Jesus tells him something that is said to him, said 81 times in the Bible. He says, do not be afraid. Because it's so important to God to know that we don't have to be afraid of God. He wants us to know he doesn't, we don't have to fear him. Imagine seeing someone you were super close with I mean, John often described himself as the one who Jesus loved, the disciple who Jesus loved. He wasn't just, you know, saying, oh, Jesus had favorites and I'm his favorite. That's not what John was saying. I believe when he said, I am the disciple who Jesus loved, he's talking about how Jesus' love defined who he was. And so he's super close with Jesus and he sees Jesus in this moment and he falls on his face as if he's dead. And Jesus, as he always does, gently says, don't be afraid. Pick up your pen, and I want you to transcribe something for me. So here now, we're going to look at the letter. But before we do that, we always have to know who the letter is to. The Ephesus might be something that might be familiar to you. Maybe you've heard of the Ephesian church or read the book of Ephesians. Paul himself planted this church, 
with his friends Priscilla and Aquila. And Ephesus was quite the place, though. It was a major city in Asia. There were three highways, per se, that converged on Ephesus. And it was at the mouth of a river that led into the sea. And so it was a huge trading port. It had all kinds of things that were happening. Governors would come every so often and uh, have high-profile court cases there. There was kind of like the Olympics, the early Olympics there. I mean, it was a happening city. And one of the things about this city was that they had the temple of the god Artemis. This temple was so huge, it was four times as big as a Parthenon. And so this whole town Idol worship was a huge part of the culture. So when Paul came and shared the good news of Jesus, many people turned away from idol worship. We are told that there were sorcerers who came to know Jesus, and they burned their scrolls. I mean, this stuff was, like, really expensive, and they were willing to give it all up for Jesus. But this worried the people of Ephesus. There was actually a riot that happened because they were so worried if more people became Christians, they wouldn't have any jobs anymore in this town. Paul would later speak kindly to this church in his, his letter to them in Ephesians. He would tell them about how their faith and their love for others was well known throughout the whole world. He was so proud of this church's faith their love for those in the town whose culture was opposite than theirs. Ephesus, after Paul's departure, became a harder and harder place for Christians, especially as they were being targeted and boycotted. Yet they stood firm. Their former pastors included Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy, and even John. So this was a church that didn't lack leadership. In Jesus' letter to the Ephesian church, we see a letter of encouragement. He begins with encouragement. This church had been doing it. Jesus saw it. He noticed it. This church had been doing God's work. If you or I visited, we would probably say, wow, this is amazing. I mean, they are working hard. They are not letting persecution get to them. They aren't ashamed of their faith in a town where it could be really risky to have faith. They could spot someone who was trying to give them the false gospel. And if they were around today, we would probably say they had the coolest programs. They had uh, amazing Bible studies, men's nights, women's nights. I mean, we would probably want to interview their session and say, what are your best practices? How is this working? But Jesus points something out. He says, They've gotten distracted in the doing that they don't simply love. They're so caught up in doing that they've forgotten their first job is to love. None of those things that I mentioned about a church would be sinful things, and yet they were empty and pointless without love. As I was writing today's sermon, I felt convicted. I mean, how many times am I doing things for Jesus instead of being with Jesus. Jesus calls them and us today to remember our first love. He's not talking about the first person you had a crush on. He's talking about your number one priority in your life, the one thing that you love the very most. 
Do you ever have those friends that you haven't seen in a while? And when you see them and you connect, you are reminded how much you love them. For me, that's my sister. Whenever we talk on the phone, we usually talk for an hour to two hours. And I always end the conversation thinking, I wish she lived closer because she just gets me. Like, we don't have to uh, beat around the bush. We, we can just be totally honest with each other, and we just get each other. And what, how, we, how that happens is spending time, right? We have to spend time with each other. When I spend that hour with, with my sister, I'm like, oh, man, I need to call her tomorrow. Like, I just want to keep spending more time with her. Time usually is what reminds us of what we love. So how, how can you and I be intentional about falling back in love with God? It could mean reading your Bible. It could be reading your prayer, prayer journal. I mean, for me, I love looking back at how God has worked in my life and being reminded of his love for me. Jesus then calls the church to repent. He isn't shaming them or guilt-tripping them in this moment. He isn't someone who's going to make you feel bad for how long you've been away. He simply wants you to turn around and come back. Jesus won't guilt-trip you from not coming back sooner, and you shouldn't do it to yourself either. It's not also not a matter of feeling sorry for what you've done. It's the action of deciding to do something different in the future to turn around to make a 180. Have you ever had something stuck in your tooth? I actually had something yesterday stuck in my tooth. And a good friend is a friend who says, hey, you got some broccoli in your tooth, right? And they're not, they're not scolding you. They're not shaming you. They're doing it because they don't want you running around with a mess on your face. Like, they are, it's because they love you. And that's the same with Jesus. He points out that they have lost their love for him because he cares so much about them. He doesn't want them to continue down this road of not truly loving. Then Jesus issues a warning. Again, this isn't Jesus being super mean or aggressive towards his church. He is simply stating a fact. If you don't love, guess what? All the stuff you've been doing, it's worthless. It's pointless and you will no longer be a light in the world if you don't have love. It isn't like a parent who's taking away privileges, but it's someone who's saying, hey, you're not living up to your potential. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, if we don't have love, we could do all the greatest things in the world, and we would be like a clanging cymbal, or, or a clanging gong that just is noisy and annoying. Like, Paul was a tent maker. He probably spent a lot of time in the marketplace, so he knew what noisy sounded like. And he tells the Corinthian church and us today, if we don't love others and we don't love Jesus, our acts are annoying noises, pointless and aggravating. Jesus' heart for us is not that we would just be noise in a world already filled with noise, but he's calling us to be a light in the world. Growing up, I loved to bake. 
My sister, on the other hand, was not really into baking. But for some reason, my mom put us both in charge of making lemon bars. We had this little kid's Pillsbury, I think it was like kid's recipe book. And so my mom was like, well, if it's in the kid's recipe book, I'm sure you, you, can, you can make it. And so my sister and I uh, decided that we wanted to make these lemon bars. And if you know something about me, I'm not a very detailed-oriented person. And this was especially true as a child. And so my sister and I put all the ingredients in the bowl and started up. If you've ever made lemon bars, you already know what happened. If you haven't, here's the hint. You don't put all the ingredients in the bowl. You need two bowls. You need a bowl that has the crust and the bowl that has the lemony part. And if we would have read the instructions, we would have known that we needed two bowls. You see, you can have all the right ingredients, and yet if you don't follow the directions, it's pointless. The same is true with the church in Ephesus. They were doing all these amazing things, and yet they didn't have love, and so it was pointless. Jesus then calls them and us to resume what we're doing. Jesus tells the Ephesus church to resume what they're doing. But do it with love. Remember why you're doing it. Get back to what you were doing. Get back to loving people, to fighting the good fight, to standing firm. But it all starts and ends with love. It begins with our love for Jesus and his love for us. And it ends with how we love others. I made this point earlier, and I don't know if you caught it, but Ephesian, the Ephesian church had quite... A few great pastors. I mean, Priscilla and Aquila, Paul, Timothy, John. And it had not been even 50 years since its founding. And they were carried away and they forgot about love. Jesus didn't want to let it stand. He loved his church too much to allow them to continue down that road. Instead, he calls them to remember their first love and turn around and resume standing firm. Jesus ends his letter in a way that all the other letters that we're going to be looking at end. If you have ears, let you hear what the Spirit says to the church. This gives us a hint that it's okay that we're peeking in on this letter. I mean, if you want to do a quick check, but odds are we all have ears, so this message is for us. Because we can teach Sunday school, attend Bible studies or team meetings, and it's pointless if it doesn't come from our relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you think that doing will bring you closer to God. It doesn't happen that way. When in life does something, was doing something for someone that we aren't close with make us closer? I mean, imagine for a second, and of course this is very imagining, uh, I had a crush on somebody. And every day, I dropped off tacos at his house because I had looked it up on his Instagram or Facebook and knew he loved tacos. So I dropped off tacos at his house, but I would never stay to talk to him. I would just drop off tacos. And then uh, for his birthday, maybe I dropped off his favorite cake because, again, I'm an amazing stalker on Instagram, and I knew what his favorite cake was. And then maybe on Valentine's Day, I write this long letter to him about how much he means to me. Again, I've never talked to this man. And I see him in public, and I, like, 
run away and I never speak to him. There's only two outcomes, and neither of those outcomes are good. So why do we think that if we would never do that to a person, why do we think we can do that to Jesus? The best way for my crush to ever like me would be to spend time with him, to talk to him. And the same is true with us. We have to spend time with God. Our doing doesn't bring us closer to God. But just sitting and being with God. I want to end with a story that you may have heard of before. It's about Mary and Martha, those two sisters. They were dearly loved by Jesus. They were very close friends with him. Jesus went to visit them, and Martha was busy cleaning and cooking and and preparing the, the house for Jesus. And Jesus corrected her. He told her, come and sit at my feet like your sister is. Stop doing things for me. Martha, simply be with me. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, learning as many men in that day would do with a rabbi. It was a sign of being a disciple. It was unheard of for a woman in that day. And yet Jesus called Martha to step out of what was culturally accepted for a woman to simply sit and spend time with him. Jesus is calling us today to remember the love that we had for him. To turn from those things that we're doing and instead to truly love. And before we want, I think we often are tempted to jump to the last step and say, okay, I want to resume, I want to resume. But I want to encourage you today and throughout this week to think about a way that you can remember that first love. Remember why you're here today. Remember why Jesus means so much to you. Because that's where it all starts, is our love and God's love for us. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that you don't just leave us to our own. You don't just say, all right, well, looks like they're not doing it well. I'm just going to let them keep going that way. I thank you that you love us enough to correct us and to turn us around. God, I ask this week that you would remind us of our first love. Remind us of the hope that you bring us. God, without you, we wouldn't be here. And without your resurrection, we wouldn't have hope. And so I ask that you would work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name.